five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? It's Friday, and as you know, that can only mean one thing. It's five in the eye day. I'm Phil Woodford in London, and you're listening to episode 0325 of our weekly news review show on Powerful Radio. And joining Phil via Zoom this week, it's moi, Michael Oda Jr., revealing that our top story is going to be the recent leaked conversations of government minister Despite her black heritage, she said she doesn't care about colonialism. Should we care about what she doesn't care about? Five in the eye. For this week's number two slot, it's the extraordinary story in the FT that the government is thinking of lowering the threshold at which graduates pay back their loans. Isn't life difficult enough for students and young workers without imposing this extra financial burden? And what's story number three? Well, it's Keir Starmer's performance at the Labour conference. How did things go? And how embarrassed should we be by his antiques by his deputy, deputy leader, Angela Rayner, and the sniping of the party's network? Our fourth story is about a state in India which shut down the internet just to stop people cheating in an exam. And to wrap up the show this week, Phil says I need to take some lessons in rock investments from a hamster. Apparently there's one canny robot who's doing very well with the cryptocurrencies. When you're a Bitcoin trading hamster, there's no need to reinvent the wheel every day. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. We're going to kick off the, st- the show this week with a very eye-catching headline. And it's, fr- it's from Vice World News, which was widely reported in The Guardian, The Sun, Mirror, and other papers. It was a, 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 a headline about... Kemi Badenoch. Kemi Badenoch says, I don't care about colonialism. Read UK's equality ministers leaked WhatsApp reports. And this is Kemi Badenoch. She's not just the equality minister. He's also, she's also in, in charge of levelling up. Levelling up is one of the lead, lead programmes of the Tory party, or one of Johnson's catchphrases today, despite they cannot fully define it in less than 5,000 words exactly what it means. So she's an important part of the party. But her, her comments were in a leaked WhatsApp report, which she says, I don't care about colonialism. And it really, it, it's challenged, you know, the press loved this, because there's a black person saying, she doesn't care about it, let's get over, let's move on. Which is a very much a Tory essence, a Tory thing. Let's move on, let's get over it. And for many, many of us black people, it's not as simple as that because Lebanese colonialism lives on to this day in, in the poverty and the poverty, the poverty found in, in, in many parts of Africa and, and the Caribbean. Yet, yet here we have a black woman saying it doesn't matter. And the thing I'm challenged about this statement, Phil, here is that now the, the WhatsApp group that this report came from is denying that she was ever on the group. And they're going further to deny that the person who made these comments is not on that group, was never part of the group. So it brings the whole, the, 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 whole, the, the, the statement in, in, into, into um, to some degree of, of uh, suspicion. Mm. But I would go a little bit, Kimmy Bandadoff has got previous in this. She's acted like a, a Tory, not a black Tory, not a white Tory, but a Tory in many of her approaches to, uh, to black people and to gay people. So, uh, Phil, it's challenging here. 
is this the press having a go, you know, building this up, knowing this is divisive and just kind of having a go at Kemi? Or, or do you think do you think she really believes this? Think she really believes this? This um, I don't care about colonialism. It's it, it, it's so difficult to know, you know, what her what her motivations are here. I mean, I think she she's a controversialist. I mean, she she's uh, her high profile is a reflection of the fact that she does make comments that people take notice of that maybe defy what you'd expect. Um, as a result, she gets media coverage and so on. So I would see her probably as a pretty effective self-publicist, Michael, to be honest. But the WhatsApp commentary is interesting, though, because we have to presume whatever the origins of this exchange she didn't intend these comments to be made public they were kind of released as you say by vice and then uh, circulated more widely um as regards to her actual comments on colonialism i mean i mean i i i, I cannot endorse them i cannot agree with them i i i, I like you would say colonialism is something that we need to address, we need to come to terms with that the legacy of it is still not only living on in the developing world, but you could argue lives on here in the UK uh, in terms of inequality and racism and and, and, and so on. And we, we've had all the debates, for instance, about um, the, uh, the 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 legacy of slave owners and how um, they're memorialised and so on. And you can say this is this is a big issue even today. However, and the, you know I have to put however into this. Kemi Bazanok is entitled to have a view that doesn't chime in necessarily with the consensus in the wider black community. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Um, a person should, you know, I don't believe she has to believe a certain ideology just because she's a woman of black heritage in the government. Phil, I, I, I challenge that, Phil. I would say part of a job as a politician is to unite the country and take us forward. Would you agree with that? Well, yes, but then I wouldn't see much of that going on with the Tory government full stop, well, leaving, okay, her, leaving, okay, leaving okay. everything else aside. You know? But in principle, it should be uniting us you know, one nation under a groove moving forward. And what I see her doing, she's been, she looks for division fueled by the Tory press. You know, the words she said about, um, to, about, about uh, gay and trans people. Mm. They're not very positive. She's alienating them. She's looking, not looking for that inc inclusion. So when you, when you see she's got these uh, diversity and levelling up agendas on ministries, you question her ability to deliver them because she's gone in there with, with an agenda already, which is divisive. Leveling up to the Tories, though, what does it really mean? I mean, you, you've raised this question that they can't explain it that easily, Michael. I mean, I think leveling up to the Tories is just code for saying that people in those red wall seats in the north of England who used to vote Labour and now voted for Boris, that they feel that they are being taken notice of by the government. And um, quite possibly a number of those voters would share Kemi Bathnock's views on these issues, wouldn't they? And, and so the people who are supposed to be benefiting from the levelling up might actually nod to this? Phil, you know, that raises a good point in terms of the so-called, the, the red wall failed or fell because the, 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 the people realise that these politicians, these Labour politicians are doing nothing for us, are doing nothing for us. And maybe the Tories will do something better and they're making promises. And then now, now, that, now those promises have been seen to be they're going to fulfilled. 
but but I just put it one of the things I put it to you, one of the things that I took away from the Labour Party conference this week was the um was the the um the Scottish leader and he spoke very eloquently about the, the, this is not the first red wall to fall. The, the first red wall was Scotland when, when yeah. Labour lost Scotland, annihilated yeah. down to one MP. So the Labour has lost the plot in terms of the of uh, the so-called working man. But I would argue, Phil, and this is a, a bigger issue here, not so much Labour, but politicians. Politicians who, 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 who promise big and don't deliver. Mm. And and, the, and that's part of and that's part of what recent Labour fell in the Red Wall because for too long they promised things and and they just saw the desolation, you know, the Featherstons, the the Derbys, the, these 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 towns built on on one particular industry and that industry moves off and the town fails. But I, I suppose what I'm saying, Michael, is that although um, the likes of Kemi Badenoch and maybe Priti Patel, um, and you could you, you could also throw in people like James Cleverly, uh, the Saj, uh, people from minority ethnic backgrounds within the government, they might not say the kinds of things that you and I relate to particularly, but actually they resonate very well with a lot of people who have been attracted to the Tories in recent years, who supported Brexit and so on. And, and these are the messages, um, the messages against political correctness, against wokeness, against rewriting history. And Badenoch is speaking to that constituency, isn't she? Yes, of course, she is, Phil. But I would argue, you know, we've got the, most, the greatest number of black and Asian MPs that we've ever had. Over 60 of them. Okay, 40 of them are in, part, are in, in um, the Labour Party, and I think about 20 are in the, um, the Conservatives. But I would argue, Phil, they reflect Britain now in terms of the, the political spectrum. You've got far left black people in, um, as MPs now. Far left. You've got far right. You only look at Priti Patel and Badenoch to see what that means. So what we're looking at here is a reflection of society as who we are. Mm-hmm. Who we are. So in some ways, you know, I would expect her. I would expect her to be like that because in terms of the numbers, in terms of the fact that we've got a much more egalitarian society now for both black and white people. As a consequence, as a consequence we've got far right black people as, as just as we've got far left black people. So no, I, I'm I'm not saying I'm comfortable with what she's saying, but I, I can expect it. Well, maybe we'll get Kemi on the show at some point, Michael. What do you reckon? Uh, a, a formal request, Kemi, if you're listening, you want to come onto Five in the Eye to discuss your views on colonialism, white privilege, and all the rest. We we can we can accommodate you. Is that right, Michael? <laughs> I'd love to have her on the show in terms of get get her view because it's 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 a broad spectrum, a broad church. But I'd, what I challenge you is how we're looking to include. How we're coming to, to to level up, to build, bring people up, you know, in in the Featherstons, in the in the, the Liverpool Eights, in the Brixton, in these nominally deprived areas where where black black working people and working class people are struggling to make a living. How is she making the difference? How is what she's saying and doing making a difference to their lives? Five in the eye. Story number two this week is about students and student finance. Now, it was reported in the Financial Times that the government may be about to do something very radical with uh, student loans. 
Um, and the message is that um, they they might reduce the threshold at which people have to start paying back the money. At the moment, you pay back only when your salary hits £27,295 a year. Um, but there was a review in 2019 that recommended that threshold should be lowered to uh, £23,000. Um, and there have been some think tanks that have modelled even lower thresholds. Now, what really, I mean, I, I obviously we'll have to wait and see whether Rishi Sunak goes down this road, Michael. But what really struck me about this story was that it seems to be, the idea is it'd be retrospective. So students that have already graduated who think, OK, well, I'm all right because I'm not earning enough to pay back, suddenly would have to. Um, that students who are currently at university, like my own daughters, who might believe that they'd be safe um, from paying back the loans in the immediate future, they might feel that they're less safe. This seems to me to be almost like a breach of contract with the, the, with, with the students and surely must be challengeable. No, I don't feel that's not a breach of contract, Phil. It's 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 a dose of reality, and this is something we, we discussed our, our offline, in terms of what was the figure the BBC someone said in the BBC earlier this week. Eighty percent of student union loans will not be paid, but in this article we're talking about today, they talk about fifty-four percent will not be paid. That's what the government's figure. So over half of them will not be paid. And what that says, the government says that, that, that your, your university education will not produce enough money for you to pay back your loan. So what we're going to do, we're not going to increase the level that you, you should pay, but we're going to decrease it. So what does that mean? We're going to go from, what was it, from, from um, 30, it's from 30 or something to 27. Was it 27? It's 27 at the moment. It would come down further. Oh, come, sorry, from yeah, 27, yeah. come down. But what's, what's astonishing about that, Phil? The average wage is about 25,000 pounds. So we're talking about people earning a little more than average wages with a degree and not yeah. going to be forced to pay back. And what this does, Phil, and let's come back to your point you made offline, it questions the value of that degree. Is it worth that 45000 £50,000 debt hanging over you mm. for, for the rest of your In effect, a 9% ta- an increase in 9% in tax for the job you want to get? Yeah, I mean, we're also in a position where cost of living is rising generally for everyone. We know about the fuel crisis. We know that, um, you know, the, the, the gas bills are going up. We know that petrol prices are going up. We've got the um, uh, generally a, a crunch coming because we're going to have to pay more national insurance to fund uh, social care. And young people, have, young people have been told that they're going to be uh, partly responsible for funding the care of old folk and everything. And so... These, but what, what do we also know? Young people find it impossible to get on the property ladder. Uh, they, they're facing extortionate rents. And that it seems that we, we have a gerontocracy in this country that has it in for young people. I mean, it, I, I, I can't understand how we can be penalising people. Is it because they're never going to vote? That, or if they, they were never going to vote Tory, if they did vote, and the Tories think they can just dismiss the young people? I, I'm sorry, Phil, I, I don't believe there's an agenda at play here. And it's the voice of realism. Realism, Education is expensive. It costs. Someone has to pay for it. But then we, I would argue, is it worth the cost? Are you going to earn money, enough money to pay back that? 
But a cynic might a cynic might say, Michael, when you, when you went to Leeds University back in the nineteen fifties, I mean, I mean the nineteen seventies, when you went to Leeds University back in nineteen seventy, you got a grant, didn't you? A full grant, and you, very much and you didn't and you didn't have to take out no, a loan. No, no, yeah, yeah. And yeah. now here, now here you are, um, it, uh, Michael Owajura in twenty twenty one. And you're saying to us, you know, well, the education costs, mate. You're you're gonna you're just gonna have to take up your no, loan. No, and get, no, get it does cost. No, I'm being realistic here. Phil. I'm being realistic. So I want to say to people, back in the day, we said get an, get a university education. That's that's the way forward. I'm not saying that now. I'm not. What I'm saying is, look at the options. There are other ways. A levels into a real job, apprenticeships. There's other ways to a career. It's not a default because the issues surround, let's say the money is surrounded by education. It's, it's not there. It's not there. But, but at the same time, I challenge the government in saying we need an educated workforce. Not an educated, not just to do the jobs, but educated in the sense they can understand statistics. They can understand political rhetoric. They can interpret it. They're not going to be subsumed by, by the great lie or mm. political deceit. Or the nonsense that that, that, that that the governments come up with inside that they can look at it and speak and understand rationally, think about these things and analyze them. And that's what we need an, edu- an educated workforce for, or uh, not workforce, an, edu- an educated um, citizenship. So that's where education comes in. But at the same time, the citizen has to decide how do I best achieve my goals in life? Is education the key part to achieve what I want to achieve? Rather than what it used to be, the defaults. And we'll be coming on this later when we talk about uh, Keir Steinman, and he's quoting um, y- y- your man Blair about the, about the three E's, education, education, education. Maybe it's not as simple as that, dear days. That education is not just a degree. There's other forms of education that can make you a, a person that can contribute not just to yourself, but also to uh, society. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we went from a, from a, a time when university was really the the, uh, the it was for the privileged and a few lucky people managed to break in if they didn't come from a privileged background but there was a very small percentage of the population went to university and then we that changed in the 1990s really under the Blair government where we had this idea that maybe half of all young people would go to university um and that's been the case pretty much ever since but the cost of going has increased hugely um and um and then you do have to start to question well can everyone be getting good enough jobs to justify the cost of the degrees and the government would also say of course what kind of degrees are people doing are they doing what they would see as mickey mouse subjects or are they doing subjects that are going to help um the the nation help them uh, as individuals and so there's been an attempt to cut arts funding for instance to to universities uh, in the coming coming year which i think is completely wrong because i think we do need that kind of education too <laughs> phil we're, we're going to end this on screaming agreement here we do need an educated informed citizenship and humanities education in universities are a critical and important part of that my only concern is it is not the be all and end all. It's getting the right mix in education and society working to, to have houses, to have children, to have careers. A, uni- a university degree is not the key. There are other keys. Five in the eye. Our third story this week is about Keir Starmer.
he made his first speech to the Labour Party. Having been the leader now for what, eight, two years, 18 months, 18 months, two years, he made his first speech to the party. A big, big moment. And I've, I've, I'll be honest with you, Phil, and we've said this many times on Five in the Eye the last, last 18 months, two years, I've blown hot and cold because he had a very difficult job being the opposite leader during the pandemic times, the post-Brexit and, and the pandemic times, trying to find a way. And I heard, I heard bits of his speech. I didn't hear all of it. But I was impressed. From what I heard, he was a man with a vision, a man on a mission for a modern Britain, a modern scientific Britain, a modern Britain based on medical information, a Britain based on, it's a glib expression, everybody being included. And he even went as far as as to to parody what, or or to quote, or to to, to parody what uh, Blair said that the way forward was the three E's or three words. Oh, he didn't say them, education, 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 but he inferred it. And it was a bit like the old times. So I was impressed. You know, when you layer on the fact, he said, um, what was he said to, to one journalist, was Kunzberg, the BBC conference, that he didn't mind if the party was split as long as they got to power. Mm. And that, mm-hmm. that really sort for me, big yes. tick. It's about power. It's not about the It's about our performance. And with Corbyn, that's what we got. We got performance. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and also, of course, the other P from uh, Corbyn is purity. You know, the, 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 the guy is obsessed with being... Uh, having the ideologically correct point of view as far as he yeah. sees it, regardless of how it plays with the electorate. Phil, Phil, Starmer can, 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 can is Starmer understands word? about throw, winning elections. Can I throw another P at you? Just, just the risk of you know, to, to disrupt your flow. Pragmatism. Okay, that's what Mr. Starmer brings. Politics is about being pragmatic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's about knowing when to the times. Yeah, politics is the art of knowing when to compromise and knowing when not to compromise. And you know. Starmer understands that a lot better than Corbyn. Uh, and, and, you know, I have no doubt, absolutely no doubt in my mind that if Starmer became prime minister, he would be a good prime minister. He's a decent guy. He's level headed. He says most of the right things. He, he understands the problems uh, that we face and, and has probably some decent ideas for solutions. That is a slightly separate question from the politics of whether he actually will become the prime minister. And I there, I I'm 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 slightly more diffident. I mean, I I I feel that Michael's got his hand in. He wants to come in here, but let me just finish, Michael. I I feel I I, I feel that Keir Starmer it has a really tough ride ahead still in terms of um, turning around the Labour Party. And we saw that this week with the challenges from the left wing. Um, He hasn't really managed to purge the people who are all affiliated with Corbyn and they will continue to embarrass and undermine him. Thank you for giving me some space to talk here. I will now take advantage of that space. the, the, The glib thing is oppositions don't win. Governments fail. And it's when governments fail, like the, the, when Thatcher's government, it was just exhausted. It had run out of steam. You know, 18 years, come on, enough, move on. And so in some ways, he's just got to be ready. But at the same time, have, at the same time, have a group of people, have a government, have, have a government in waiting, 
have a party and policies ready to take over. And his mission, his job is to, to position himself as the visionary who's going to take the country forward. And I thought he took a, I thought he took a, he took a step in that direction. What about his deputy leader, Angela Rayner? She oh. didn't take the moral high ground, did she? In the conference. Mountain trousers, she, mountain she, 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 was, um, <laughs> she was attacking the Tories in vitriolic terms, calling them scum and so on. But uh, the way I, I see this is the way Labour wins an election is to win over people who currently vote Tory. This is yeah. the way in which they will come to power. If yeah. you tell the people who currently vote Tory that they're the scum of the earth and all the rest, I mean, this, this no, is no, not the no, way you. This no, is no, not no, the way no, you sell yourself. No, yeah? Exactly, and politics is all about the art of the possible. It's an art, you know, and you, you know, it's knowing when to move and when not to move. You know, and and I think some of the people on the left are so pure, pure, puritanical, mm -hmm. <laughs> so pure in their approach to politics that they've got to be seen to be anti-Tory a hundred percent of the time, and in extremists anti. When the idea is to, you have to finesse, you have to finesse, and you look at <laughs> the Tory Party; they finesse all the time, on the one hand and on the other. And, and 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 that's why I think that the Labour Party has always been lacking. This current Labour Party since Corbyn came to power, this finessing, this art of nuance, this art of being able to have to be to hold understand your view. Yeah, here's my view, rather than you ignore the other's view and just have your view. And it, it politics isn't like that. We're not binary no more. We're not. We're not at all. And something we'll be discussing next week. Hopefully next week when we talk about the, the German. General Party, where the country on the face is riven 50-50, yet they're gonna they're having reasonable debates. When when Britain is risen 50-50, it's all anger, it's all binary, us, them, you, we. It's just a disaster. And what 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 um Starman, the Labour have to do is to finesse nuance, how we, that collective. Who the, that collectively, that Venn diagram that brings us together. And I, I think he's on his way. He's got challenges, but he's on his way. Five in the eye. Story number four this week takes us to India. Uh, or more specifically, uh, Rajasthan, uh, the Indian state, where um, if you want to become a teacher, you have to take a particular test. It's called the, the Rajasthan Teacher Eligibility Test, called REIT. Um, and it's the only way you get to become a primary or secondary school teacher. And so actually, um, large numbers, very large numbers of people take this test. And the government was worried that people were going to cheat. And so what it did was it actually imposed internet restrictions and shutdowns last Sunday in order to stop people cheating in these teaching exams. Now, for the first, you know, the first thing that occurs to me is, you know, well, how widespread is all the cheating to become a teacher? And that's that's a worry in itself. But then the idea that in order to facilitate an exam, the rest of us would, would have to be without internet. I mean, you wouldn't survive two minutes, Michael, without your internet connection. I, 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 was, I was, I was, my gob was smacked at this. Why couldn't it just remove everybody's mobile phones? Going to go in there stark naked, <laughs> just taking all the technology away from people. It just seemed 
absolutely bizarre. Mm. Bizarre. You know, even take your glasses. I know you can have things in your glasses. Well, you can't have your glasses in the exam. No watches in the exam. You know, if there was, you know, there's something going on here, Phil, I don't quite understand. Yeah, well, it's certainly not not something that's yet been introduced in 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 the UK. I think may, may, maybe um, maybe it's a reflection of the fact that these teaching jobs are you know so sought after in um, in, in India. It's a route possibly for some people who you, you know who might not have other opportunities, but they're uh, you know they they they've got an education they want to get on in life. Teaching is the route in. Uh, and it has a status, perhaps, that it doesn't have here. So then people are so desperate. That there's a proportion, a small proportion of people who are prepared to cheat in order to get there. I'm sorry, Phil. Let me let me say, if, if I was the Minister of Education there, right, you're going to turn up an hour before the exam, whatever your time zone is, and you're going to go in quarantine. Mm. And we're going, to, we're going to examine you for any, any electronic devices you have. And you're going to be there for an hour after the exam. You know, to, if, to, to, to cater for time differences, whatever the time difference is. Mm-hmm. So I think you can be ruthless in this because what it said, you know, it sets a dangerous precedent here in terms of exam times. The internet goes down. <laughs> now, that, 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 we had, I remember we discussed this. In fact, the most sophisticated ways you can do this, you can do this in, 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 in specially designed chambers where the internet can't get in. So in some ways, I think this is the, the easy way out. You know, you should go, you either take your phones, watches, glasses off you, look you in chambers which are um, which which resist um, radio inter- interference. Because these same rooms are in are in embassies around the world. When 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 they want to go and talk privately, they go into this this room which is which is internet safe. So my God, so I'm, no, I'm I'm sorry for you know the the Indian government. Is this a real story, Phil? Do you think this is uh, the Indian government trying to say? Well, all I can say is just as well I didn't shut the internet down. On a, just as well I didn't shut the internet down on a Friday because people wouldn't be able to stream five in the eye, would they? Uh, from, from India, we set up our own internet station to get get people, keep people connected. Definitely, we would. Five in the eye. Our final story this week is about the internet again. But a special version today. It's, it's the cryptocurrencies, the Bitcoin, the Euro, the Euro things. The, I can't even say them. The Ethereum's of this world, and we know the vagaries of the bit, the Bitcoin market go up and down, and people. Make well, you, money. you you certainly know the vagaries, don't you, Michael? Because you, you you got a bit of Bitcoin stashed away. Well, I, I speak. I, I have lost a bit of Bitcoin. <laughs> I definitely lost a bit of Bitcoin. What's fascinating about this? They've got there's this there's this hamster called. What's his name? I've written it down here. What's his name? Gax. G-A-X-X. Gax. And what is he makes two decisions, two decisions once a week. On his on his little um wheel, he spins around and he decides how he how the wheel moves, decides which Ethereum or Bitcoin they're gonna buy, which particular cryptocurrency they're gonna buy that week. And then he's got two tunnels. One, he goes down, we'll sell, and two, we'll buy. And it's fabulous there. And it's very simple. You've got maybe about three or four uh, currencies, cryptocurrencies. He tells you which one to, to, uh, you're going you're gonna to deal that week. And then he runs down a tunnel and tells you to buy or sell it. And guess what? 
He's performing well. He's 16% up. He's outperforming the market. He's outperforming the Bitcoin market, you know, the crypto market itself, and, and also the, um, the, 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 the only market, the, the, the market markets, the currently stock markets, get the word, get the word out, stock markets. So look, Phil, I have to be honest with you, Phil, I'm going to have a look into this. Because yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I wonder whether he falls into the category. This, this, this character, this hamster, falls into the category of some other um, famous, uh, f- famous animals that have had great predictive ability. Do you remember there was that octopus that could Paul, tell the yeah, results Paul, of the I World Cup? Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some years ago, uh, and he would, he would also, he would swim over to one place or another, depending on who was going to win the football match. So you could say maybe the hamster is, has some kind of psychic, uh, psychic abilities tuned yeah, into the mar- tuned into the marketplace. Do you think? No, well, what it just shows is it's it's all chance. And you can employ consultants, financial analysts, you know, cryptocurrency experts, and analyze the market in terms of what Korean movements or China's doing or what America's doing or the, the car market, all these markets of markets, how they interact. And you can you can look at graphs and analysis, and maybe you can you can come up with something. But at the end of the day, why not just have a punt? Well, it's just a, a, a punt. This is the uh, the Gax punt, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a look not. into it, Phil, because yeah. he's, he's got a Twitter account. He's got a Twitter account, and it tells you what you should buy, what you should sell this week. So, and what you know, the, the guys who run this hamster, they've got fifty euros. Uh, is it fifty euros or fifty big fifty euros? They put in each each month, and they spend them according to what the big man says or the big hamster says, and it sounds it sounds like a bit of you're laughing, Phil. You're laughing. This is, you know, this is an opportunity, Phil. Well, I'll have a word with Mrs. W, and we'll see if maybe I could allocate well, look, a certain so sum I, to invest in hamster pro, pro, uh, prognostications. Mr. Gax is now. I'm following Mr. Gax now, and I'm earnestly going to look into this opportunity he presents me with. If, if Michael retires from Five in the Eye, you'll know that. Um, Mr. Gax has achieved a huge Bitcoin fortune for it. Five in the eye. Well, that's it for another week. I'm off to see if my pet gerbil can suggest some good stocks and shit to invest in. We hope you enjoy episode 0325 of Five in the Eye and will join us next time for 0326. If you want to get in touch in the meantime, please do visit our Facebook page. For now, this is Phil Woodford in London wishing you well for the week ahead and saying goodbye. And this is me, Michael Overture, saying, as ever, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's Five the Eye shutting down the internet for a week while we take our radio presenting exams. See you next time. Bye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?